I'm Sean McCormick, and this is Optimal Performance. When you do a vaccine of any kind, particularly this vaccine, the COVID vaccine, you have a downturn in your immunity, a slight depression, and that allows reactivation of things that are already in your system. So especially they've measured Epstein-Barr reactivation after vaccines. And there's some really nice herbs that we use for that. These are herbs that don't have drug-like properties. They're safe to take every day for the rest of your life. When we take an herb, we basically gain those defenses, those cellular defenses that are being produced by the plant. That, everyone, is Dr. Bill Rawls, and he is an expert in how phytochemicals and herbs provide protection against free radicals, toxic substances, and threats from different types of microbes that are involved in the aging process. He's an author who has an incredibly wide range of information at our disposal. He's the author of Suffered Long Enough and Unlocking Lyme, his story as to how he turned his entire health around in his late 40s is a really cool inspirational story. And in this episode, we talk all about herbs. We talk about these types of phytochemicals that can actually help us be more resilient. And I asked him specifically head on what happens for, for vaccinations and modes of antibiotics how do you what kind of herbs can you take to protect yourself and he really thought this through he's thought about carnivore and uh, the place that a high high protein or a keto diet uh, could be aided and affected by uh, strategic uses of herbs we talk about what are the best herbs that you can take every single day we talk about what is better herbs or vitamins we talk about specific herbs like reishi, Japanese ragweed, Chinese skullcap, and ginger, rhodiola as these powerful daily herbs that you can take every single day that are just going to help you do everything better in your entire life. Pretty, pretty cool. We also talk about the different types of delivery systems, capsules, tinctures, powdered extract. You know, uh, this is the type of information that's immediately actionable. You can immediately purchase uh, high quality herbs. In fact, he's got a company called Vital Plan Herbs. And if you go to vitalplan.com or vitalplanselect.com and use the code OPP15, then you can get 15% off. And he's really accessible. He He's really open to answering questions. He's a very gracious person, very thoughtful. And so if you want to reach out to him, you can connect with him on the website. This is, I love doing episodes like this because I challenged him on a couple of different points and he was one step ahead of me. He had thought through all of this. Really interesting conversation. You know, this is... Um, uh, the hallmark, I think, of biohacking and performance is what things can you take that will make you better? Minimum effective dose. If rhodiola every day is going to make you feel like a million bucks or milk thistle to protect your liver is going to make you feel like a million bucks, man, it's really worth checking out. As always, you can find me on Instagram at McCormick. If you are not a subscriber, if you're a longtime listener, or maybe this is your first time, please subscribe to this episode on whatever platform that you listen to. It really helps our analytics and our numbers and how we perform in the rankings. So excited to bring this episode to you. Thank you so much for joining me again. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Bill Rawls. Welcome everyone to the Optimal Performance Podcast. My name is Sean McCormick. I'm a life coach, performance coach, wellness entrepreneur, and it's my pleasure to bring to you every single week the world's leaders in the field of performance. 
so that you can live your life at its most optimal level. Plus, cutting edge ideas so that you can stay ahead of the curve in an ever-changing world. Let's dig right in. And I'm here with Dr. Bill Rawls, author of The Cellular Wellness Solution. Bill, welcome to the Optimal Performance Podcast. Uh, thank you, Sean. Pleasure to be here. Like I mentioned, I gave you a little heads up before we press the record button. I want to start with some maybe tangential seeming questions at first, but it sound, looks like you're up for it. So we're going to go here first. The last two years have really revealed a lot to a lot of people, the importance of metabolic health, uh, the importance of taking your own health into your hands, taking uh, ownership of, of your wellness. And also, simultaneously, we have been fed, directed to take specific treatments in the form of injections to try to stave off SARS-CoV-2. And we will sort of forget about the narratives and my thoughts and, and suspicions and criticisms of the approach. But one thing that has come up for me with my coaching clients and that, that I think a lot of people are thinking about is, is there a place for herbs to help us manage and deal with injections, vaccinations, boosters, all that stuff? Like what role can herbs play in essentially vaccine injuries? Um, yeah, that's a great question. And actually one I've thought about. Um, so yeah, first of all, I think herbs should be part of our, our discussion and should have been from the very beginning. You know, within a few months of finding out about COVID and really understanding, you know, gathering all the information that I could, uh, say circa March 2020, um, I started looking for herbs that would have activity against this virus. And we actually knew a lot because there were previous SARS epidemics and there were people looking at herbs that might have activity because we didn't have vaccines back then, just like we didn't have for this. Um, so what I found was there are a lot of great herbs out there that have some pretty good antiviral uh, activity against these specific viruses. Japanese knotweed, uh, reishi, uh, Chinese skullcap, just plain ginger from the grocery store. I mean, that's one of my favorites. So there are a lot of herbs that have activity, and I think we should have been doing that. And I'm really disappointed that we weren't hearing that from the very beginning. Um, I'm right there with you. You know, obviously the vaccines have not been a panacea, but possibly they were part of a necessary uh, process to overcome the virus in the way that we have. Um, but yes, we do have reactions to the vaccines. So the research that I have found, and this is pretty near and dear to me because I work with a lot of people with chronic illnesses and things like chronic Lyme disease and fibromyalgia that are discounted by the, the medical uh, community. And what we found is that when you do a vaccine of any kind, but particularly this vaccine, the COVID vaccine, you have a downturn in your immunity, it's a slight depression. And that allows reactivation of things that are already in your system, uh, which is part of my journey is really discovering that our tissues aren't sterile. We harbor all kinds of bacteria and viruses in our tissues, even in our brain. And that downturn in 
and uh, the, the, our immune system caused by the vaccine allows some of those things to flourish. So especially they've measured Epstein-Barr reactivation after vaccines. Um, and there's some really nice herbs that we use for that. And interestingly, because an herb has a wide spectrum of benefit, it's hitting a lot of different viruses in a lot of different ways. Um, this, some of these same herbs, um, ginger, Japanese knotweed, reishi, cordyceps, uh, boy, there's, there, there's just a really long and nice list. Andrographis, top of my list. Um, these herbs do have some activity. So, you know, whenever I did a vaccine, I loaded up on my herbs for a week or so after. Um, I've honestly only done one vaccine. I did the Johnson and Johnson early on. Um, I, uh, and I did the, uh, herbs along with it. I didn't have any reaction to it whatsoever. Um, I elected not to do another vaccine after that. Um, actually got COVID last December and it was mild, pretty much like a cold. I had about the same amount of reaction that people that had had double vaccine and boosters had, but I was doing the herbs the whole time. So again, that should be a part of our conversation, no matter what we're talking about. I'm glad I asked that question. And I, and I want to go a little bit deeper because, you know, I think it's a, a lack of knowledge that most people just, just don't know or are not motivated to do the research to figure out which which products, supplements, herbs, vitamins, and we're going to get, we're going to get into vitamins uh, a little bit later, but sure. people just, they just don't know the things to take for themselves. And I, I'm going to talk about that too later, but you know, anytime you get a shot of anything, uh, there is a response there. Maybe it's a sore shoulder. Maybe it's inflammation. Maybe it's, maybe it's mild and, and you can't really detect it. But the fact of the matter is that similarly to a shot or a vaccine, uh, a, a round of antibiotics does damage to your gut microbiome. And we can look to herbs to try to help us recover from that. So if you could tell us just a little bit more about foundational herbs that we could take, or if someone, cause I'll, I'll be, I'll be frank with you. I've got a number of people who are just sending me direct messages on Instagram saying, Hey, I, I have not felt like myself since I got my third or fourth. And yeah. I've had conversations with them about a vitamin Absolutely. C flush. And, and, and I'm looking now for, for other, to other solutions, natural solutions that will help them sure. uh, recover. So if you could just elaborate a little bit more, I'd love to hear more of your ideas there. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, just quick, quick plug on the book. The book has got lots of this kind of information in it. Um, but uh, my new book, Cellular Wellness, has, you know, we, I, I do make that roadmap for how someone can get started with herbs. And I think people do see them as this big, complicated, intimidating thing. And what they hear from their doctors is don't take herbs because they're dangerous. Right. Um, and there are some that are out there. So first of all, you know, what, what we're doing is we're basically just borrowing from the plant. So herbs are plants, herbs are basically wild plants. And so when you look at uh, plants as being cellular organisms, like we are, 
um, plants have to protect their cells from free radicals, from microbes of every variety, from toxic substances, radiation. So all the same stress factors that our cells encounter, plant cells encounter. So plants don't have an immune system like we do that's cellular. They have a biochemical immune system. So all plants are producing a wide spectrum of chemicals. Basically, the, you know, I've heard it said that plants are the greatest chemists on earth. They solve problems with chemistry. So they're counteracting all of these stress factors that can damage their cells with, with chemistry that neutralize those things. Antioxidants, uh, substances that neutralize various kinds of toxins, and a wide spectrum of different kinds of antimicrobial agents to warn, ward off uh, bacteria, viruses, protozoa, yeast, all plants are having to deal with that. So how much antimicrobial property you get from an herb depends on the environment. So what kind of properties you get from a particular herb um, depends on the stress factors in the plant's environment. For example, there's an herb called cat's claw. That's a vine that grows in the Amazon. More moist environment, lots of microbe stress there. It's a great antimicrobial herb. Another herb that we use for performance is rhodiola. Um, some people may have heard of rhodiola. Uh, it's native to Siberia in northern latitudes. Um, interestingly, there are close relatives of it that grow in the Appalachians of North America. But that it, it's a plant that's dealing with a cold, harsh environment so that it's, um, you know, it's producing a lot more substances to deal with those kinds of stress factors and less so for microbes. Um, it has antimicrobial properties and that's something fascinating that I've really uh, I've found over the past several years is that all plants, all herbs have some antimicrobial properties. Uh, turmeric that we eat as a spice. All of your culinary herbs have some antimicrobial properties. Um, so that's a big benefit we're getting our, from herbs is protecting us from microbes. But something that's really interesting about the plants, about taking an herb, is that you're, you're going to, uh, that, that it doesn't mess up our flora and our gut like an antibiotic. Instead of being a single chemical agent like an antibiotic, it's more like the plant's whole defense system. But that chemistry of the plant also includes signaling agents of various kinds, and many of those mimic things that are in our body so they can affect the way that we feel. Um, and some stronger ones can really modify our behavior um, like marijuana, opioids, things like that. So there are herbs that have strong drug-like properties. In fact, about 70% of drugs come from herbs. But what I'm leading people toward is a category of herbs that I call the everyday herbs. These are herbs that don't have drug-like properties. They're safe to take every day for the rest of your life. And they have really wonderful forgiving uh, thing, properties that just enhance our cellular health and therefore our well-being. So one of those is rhodiola. That's a top herb of mine. It's a favorite. Um, I used to take it uh, when we 
you know, I live at sea level and we would go out skiing out in Colorado at 10 or 11,000 feet. And you go straight from that to sit and it just wipes you out. Um, so rhodiola actually enhances your ability to tolerate physical stress. So it actually has been found to increase oxygenation of our tissues, especially the heart. So I'd take rhodiola for days at pretty significant doses before I go out skiing with my kids. And, um, you know, never got altitude sickness. I was up there on the advanced slopes on the first day out hanging. Um, wasn't beautiful, maybe, but I was there and it was great. Um, so rhodiola is a good one. Um, another favorite that's not actually a plant is reishi mushroom. So reishi, if you go walking in the woods and you see a mushroom uh, sticking on the side of a tree that looks kind of like a, a rainbow fan coming out from the tree, that's a species of reishi. So the Asian reishi um, has been studied for its remarkable cancer properties, immune modulating properties, protective effects on all our organs. So that's a great one that you can take every day. Um, I put it in smoothies. Um, it's in my regular supplements. Uh, turmeric, everybody knows that one. Um, everyone in India through curries gets about a gram of turmeric every day. Um, and turmeric really has some wonderful health protecting properties. Um, it is thought that even though in India, they have a pretty high rate of uh, pollution uh, and, and uh, is, you know, and crowding, um, they have some of the lowest rates of Alzheimer's and cancer around. And it's felt to be the turmeric that's protective. Um, Go-to cola is another one from India that protects your brain. It's a great one. And I found recently that we actually have it growing for whatever reason here and there in North Carolina. So plants get around. Um, and then finally, milk thistle. Everybody should take milk thistle. Milk thistle is a liver protective. You know, everybody's worried about their cholesterol going up, right? It's because we ding off our liver cells. And we don't, we lose the ability to regulate cholesterol in our body. So protecting your liver cells is really important. Um, and another part of my career, I used to do laparoscopy surgeries that I looked inside non-invasive surgeries. And if I looked at the liver on a 20 year old, it would be nice and beefy red. But you look at somebody in their 40s or 50s or 60s, the liver is starting to take on a mottled yellow color. We lose the ability to process toxins and we lose the ability to manage cholesterol and blood sugar. Liver is really important. You lose those liver cells and you're losing something that uh, is going to cause you some ill will down the line. Uh, milk thistle actually promotes regeneration of liver cells. Yes, we can make new liver cells. And um, I've been taking it for 15 years. My cholesterol is actually better now than when I was in my 40s. Don't take any medications for it. So, so that, that's kind of a, a basic list that I like to start people with. It's pr pretty safe. Um, you know, they have, all of these herbs have very, very low potential for reactions and side effects and drug-like effects. You can take them every day. Man, do they do wonderful things for you. 
Today's episode is brought to you by January AI. Monitoring your blood sugar levels is one of the most important secrets for losing weight and becoming metabolically healthy. And to stave off chronic diseases like pre-diabetes, which is something that one in three Americans suffer from. The January AI app and accompanying continuous glucose monitor use sophisticated AI technology to help you make decisions about what foods to eat and what foods to avoid. The January app can predict how your blood sugar will respond to foods before you've even eaten them. Simply wear a CGM and the January app will learn your body's unique response to diet and exercise. After two weeks, you won't even need to wear a monitor to see your predictive glucose curve. If you've ever wondered how a continuous glucose monitor might work for you in helping you reach your fitness goals, this is your opportunity. Go to january.ai forward slash optimal performance and get 40% off get 40% off huge, huge savings. It's such a powerful tool to know exactly which foods are going to be good for you and which foods are not. So go to january.ai forward slash optimal performance and see how glucose monitoring can help you achieve your health goals today. Yeah, that's really helpful. I'm glad to get that rundown because, uh, and, and it must not be a coincidence that that beautiful little milk thistle made it onto the cover of the book because it's, it's such a powerful, uh, a powerful herb. Um, you know, it sounds like liver, liver support, liver protection, uh, rejuvenating liver cells is, is an important thing for all of us for lots of different reasons. So it's, it's no wonder that it made it on the cover. Maybe now make the connection for us between herbs and uh, and cellular wellness. Yeah, that's that's the important thing, and that was um, that was a a journey, you know, that started just with my personal journey, uh, losing my health to what I later defined as either fibromyalgia or chronic Lyme disease in my late forties and regaining it and ending up using herbs by default because nothing else worked. Um, antibiotics just made me sicker. Um, and, but the herbs did so much more. They didn't just give me my health back. They gave me a resilience that I had never had before. Not to say I'm not aging, I'm aging, but I'm doing things that I never expected to be doing um, at this point in time. Uh, and, and so it really was just intriguing. And I really just dove into what the herbs were doing and it changed my idea of what wellness is and why we become, we become ill. You know, so much of what we do in con conventional medicine is add up symptoms, get labs to find the diagnosis. And what we want, what the diagnosis does is design the treatment protocol, which is typically with drugs. Drugs affect enzymes, uh, block enzymes, affect receptor or hormone pathways that affects the function or behavior of cells but to with the purpose of reducing symptoms or slowing the process of disease, but it doesn't actually do anything to make people well. So typically people that are, have become chronically ill just stay that way and they live in a state of managed illness that we can do with drugs. 
And I just, I wanted more for myself and my, and my patients. Um, and so looking at it from a different point of view, if you ask the question, why do people, um, why do people become ill instead of what's the diagnosis, then you put yourself on a completely different playing field. So I started looking for reasons. Well, why do people become ill and what is illness? What are symptoms? So when you really get down to it, what symptoms are, are when cells are in the body are stressed. So we are cellular organisms. Our whole body is built with cells. We have trillions of cells in our body. And if we feel well, it's because all of our cells are healthy, working well, and working in synchrony. When we have a symptom, it's because cells are stressed. So if you have, and a lot of times the, the, the symptom will point to the cells that are stressed. You know, if you block off a coronary artery and have chest pain, it's the heart, it, it's heart cells that are stressed. You step wrong and twist your ankle, it's cells in your ankle that are stressed. So when cells are stressed, they release substances that activate nerves that let our brain know that something's wrong. We feel pain or discomfort, but you also partially lose that function. So a part of any symptom is losing the function. But it's like if you twist your ankle, if you use crutches and put a brace on it, you actually get better, right? So that, so it heals. So this idea of healing, you know, we all know conceptually what healing what is, but just getting right down to that, what healing is very specifically is the ability of cells to recover from being stressed, to repair internal injury or regenerate into new cells. So healing is the ability of cells to recover from being stressed. So if you have chronic symptoms, that implies you've got ongoing stresses that are keeping your cells stressed that aren't allowing. It's like if you don't use crutches on that, on that twisted ankle and just keep right on walking on it, it's going to get worse and worse and worse because the cells aren't able to recover. Same thing with the heart. If you don't uh, revascularize that blocked coronary artery, those cells are going to die and you're going to lose them. So everything can be described in terms of cells. So when you look at illness in terms of cells and you start looking for the stress factors that are the ongoing stresses. So any chronic illness you can define as ongoing stress. So stress factors, uh, poor nutrition, chronic toxins, uh, mental stress that just keeps your cells from recovering. Cells need downtime. They need sleep for us to recover. Uh, being sedentary and microbes that we all have in our tissues. All of these factors keep our cells stressed that keep us from reaching the level of performance. So whether you're talking about recovering from chronic illness or reaching a higher level of performance, what you want is cells that have a high ability to recover from being stressed and aren't being chronically stressed. So when you look at what herbs do, well, as I said, you know, plants are producing all these chemicals to protect their cells. When we take an herb, 
we basically gain those defenses, those cellular defenses that are being produced by the plant. So that's a big part of what any herb is doing, no matter what purpose you're taking it for. All herbs are going to have these protective qualities. And that's something I think people don't realize about herbs that is just so interesting to look into the research. So digging into the research, I found research that defined that a lot of the herbs that I've mentioned already, that group of herbs, along with many others, each of those herbs contains chemicals, protective chemicals, that spectrum of complex chemistry from the plant that protects us from every known cellular stress factor, every known cellular stress factor. Um, carbohydrate, uh, you know, eating too much carbohydrates, antidiabetic properties, uh, free radicals, toxic substances, protecting the liver. No matter what you look at, all of these stress factors, all of these things are protecting our cells. Not one cell, but all the cells in our body. So when you're taking these things, every cell in your body is getting a boost. So, and that allows, so you take the pressure off and those cells can recover from being stressed. And that just paves the way for just a, uh, a, a remarkable ability to, uh, to recover from stress, for resilience. So I just don't know anything on earth that quite matches it. It's really pretty wonderful. Hmm. Yeah, you've laid out a number of herbs already for that can be used for optimizing different states or different um, areas of health or even specific to, to organ support. And I think one of the things that sort of befuddles people is, well, I don't know what to take. You know, I right. could I could really easily just go down to the health food store and spend 600 bucks on really high quality herbs and just start taking them, you know, and the benefit that that might have for me as a 39 year old with, you know, X sort of health uh, scene versus someone who's, you know, 65 and obese or pre-diabetic, but that's a tough thing for people to understand, I think, as to what, what is, what should I take every day? What should I take to lose weight, to relax? What should I take for sexual performance? And, and it becomes really challenging. So I don't know. I mean, is there, it sounds like a lot of it's in the book, but what, what do you say to folks who are looking for overall optimal performance, you know, rhodiol obviously is going to come into that, but, you know, maybe you could speak a little bit to that sort of predicament that people are in where they just don't know what to get and don't know what to take. Yeah. Um, fortunately, yeah, I was in that boat at one point. Uh, you know, I can remember walking into a health food store or Whole Foods or something and just looking at all the products and being totally overwhelmed and intimidated. Um, don't take this wrong, but there's not really any wrong answers with herbs. And that's the cool thing. No matter what you take, you're going to get some protective properties, right? So we typically take herbs the same way we take drugs. We develop a symptom of some kind and we want to get rid of that symptom. So we take herbs to get rid of it. Um, and typically a lot of people, uh, you know, drugs have become dominant in our society because they work a lot faster for symptom relief. 
And it's because, as I said, you know, what the drug is doing is blocking specific pathways to affect cellular, cellular function to make that symptom go away. Um, so it's an artificial effect, but it's not doing anything to cellular stress. So it's not promoting wellness, but as long as you take the drug, it can relieve the symptom. Um, when, and, and not to say that all drugs are bad, you know, I think there's a place for every drug made. I just think we've become way over reliant on them. When people look to an herb to reduce a symptom like a drug, it's not going to have the same effect. So what you're doing with the herbs is protecting the cells and that's allowing the cells to recover so that it takes time. It, it's not as potent, it takes more time, but it's, so it's, it's almost an imperceptible effect that just adds up over time. Um, but the difference is that drugs don't promote healing. They don't do anything to affect cellular stress. So they don't actually promote healing. Whereas the herbs are affecting cellular stress. So they actually do promote healing. And that's fundamentally uh, very different and something to pay attention to. Um, again, there are a lot of different herbs out there. And for, fortunately, virtually anything you take is going to have some wonderful protective properties. Um, but ones to take on a daily basis are, uh, I, are you would commonly hear about uh, adaptogens. So adaptogens are herbs that have been classified as having the, the potential to uh, increase our stress resilience. And they're doing it by protecting our cells. Um, so there are a lot of great adaptogens out there. Some are calming, uh, like ashwagandha. Some are more stimulating, like ginseng. Um, so any of the adaptogens, schizandra, uh, ashwagandha is wonderful. So there are quite a range of different kinds of adaptogens that are very good. So the, you know, the, the, the idea behind any adaptogen is that they don't have drug-like effects and they can safely be taken long-term. One thing in the definition of adaptogen though, is it balances central hormone pathways, which help us go resist stress, which rhodiola, uh, reishi is defined as an adaptogen, um, ginseng is an adaptogen, ashwagandha, which has become a popular herb, is an adaptogen. But there are other herbs that don't necessarily affect our hormone pathways that still can be taken every day that are really nice. So turmeric would be one of those herbs. Turmeric really doesn't affect hormone pathways, but boy, does it have some great protective effects. Another one is hawthorn, which is really wonderful for the vascular system. But, and so it can be taken every day. In fact, I have been for a long time. Um, so I throw all these into what I define in the book as an everyday herb. Things that have about the same safety profile as a food, um, they don't have drug-like effects that you, you, know, you wouldn't want to take these every day. Um, but then even the herbs that you're starting to look at for um, maybe solving a problem, like taking an herb like passion flower or chamomile tea to help you rest at night, they still have all those wonderful protective effects. 
Now, I generally steer, steer people clear if, if a drug has more of a specific effect relieving a symptom, you know, generally that's not something you would want to use continually every day because it'll just start losing its effectiveness. You develop tolerance to it. And then there's some stronger herbs or herbs that have um, uh, properties that are more drug-like, like St. John's wort, which acts very much like um, drugs like Prozac and Zoloft has some, it blocks the same enzymes. Um, so it has more of a drug-like effect. You have to be more careful with those because they can interfere with other drugs and that sort of thing. But the difference in St. John's wort and Prozac is that Prozac has no protective effects for your cells, whereas St. John's wort is loaded with them. So again, there really aren't any terrible wrong answers there. Um, you know, if you stay within a, a, a kind of a, what I call the safety zone, and I've defined that in the book, I put in an herbal spectrum that on one end of the spectrum is plants that we would define as food plants. And at the other end of the spectrum, uh, plants that have strong drug-like properties, many of which really are drugs or should be used as drugs um, so I generally steer people away from that end of the spectrum and more toward the, what I call the everyday end, what, that we define a safe zone or a green zone and, uh, put a list of herbs in the back of the book to help people categorize that so they can, uh, stay in a comfortable area as far as using drugs and use them safely. This episode is brought to you by BioPro Plus. This stuff is a game changer. You see, you might be dialed in with sleep and nutrition and stress management and exercise, but all of that hard work might be undermined by underperforming hormone levels. And there is a non-synthetic way to boost your natural growth hormone. This is an incredible product that I absolutely love. And you can go to bioproteintech.com and use the code OPP for $30 off. If you're a male, especially over the age of 35, there's a really good chance that you're not creating enough growth hormone to support all of those other good lifestyle behaviors. And what BioPro Plus is, is a non-synthetic formula that you take in a sublingual little vial underneath the tongue once in the morning. And if you get the Cortisleep product, you take it at night. And what it does is, well, for me, it's supercharged my attitude. It's helped my mood. It's helped me put on lots of lean muscle mass. It's helped my libido. And it's also improved my ability to focus and have energy throughout the day so I can do all the fun things that I love to do. BioPro Plus is a unique product that includes deer antler velvet and amino acids and growth factors. You got to check it out. Again, go to bioproteintech.com and use the code OPP for $30 off. This product is a game changer, believe me. Yeah, you've painted a picture there at which, you know, the, the supplementation or the everyday use of these herbs over time build up that protection, that cellular protection, which is yeah. a, something important for people to kind of understand and realize is that it does take time. And, and we are 
we are self-healing organisms. We are uh, holybionts, which are uh, constantly finding the best way to be our best, right? To perform at our at our most optimal level. But I think it is important to to remind people that just because you took ashwagandha once doesn't mean that you're you know you're optimized for this or that. It does it does take time and repetition because that's in sync with the sort of homeostasis that our body wants anyway. And getting all of these nutrients um, and phytochemicals are are essential to that. Uh, yeah. do you, do you have a, do you have a preference of delivery method is powdered and encapsulated preferable to like a tincture? Um, I use a little bit of everything and it depends a little bit on the herb, but I have a preference as far as getting the highest concentration of the phytochemicals in someone of powdered extracts. So um, you know, there are a lot of different ways to take herbs, starting with growing them in your backyard and processing them, which you can do, or you can wild harvest them, which is fun, but it's a lot of work. Believe me, it's a lot of work. Um, so relying on pre commercial preparations is a really nice way to go that you can consistently get the herbs and you can use a wide variety of herbs um, that have been studied and, and uh, you know, and, ha and have quality control. So the three primary ways to get a commercial preparation of an herb um, at the very bottom is a whole dried herb powder. So they basically take the whole herb, dry it, dry the plant, whether it's the root or the flowers or the stems and leaves, they crush that up into a powder and they put it in a capsule. Um, that's the least potent thing you can get because basically you're getting a lot of plant fiber. You're not getting that much of the chemistry and they're inexpensive. You know, you can find them for a big old bottle for like 10 or $15 and you're just not getting a whole lot. This next step up from there is going with a tincture. And this is a traditional way of extracting the chemistry, the chemicals from the plant we call phytochemicals. So you, the, the, they take the plant and they put it in water and alcohol. Why water and alcohol? Water pulls the aqueous chemicals and alcohol pulls some of the fat soluble chemicals. So you get the full spectrum of the herbal chemicals into the tincture. And uh, so you, so the, how much plant you put to the alcohol and water defines the concentration of, of that tincture. Um, and then, you know, once, once it's sat for, for a while and you've pulled all that chemistry out, then the plant parts are discarded. So all you're getting is just the chemicals. And that's a really nice way to do it. And some herbs, that's the only way you can find them. Disadvantages are uh, you're, you're getting a fair amount of alcohol. A lot of the herbs are very bitter um, and not always pleasant to take. So the next step up from that is a standardized powdered extract. So what they're doing with that is basically taking that water alcohol tincture, spraying on a surface, drying out the water and alcohol, drying off the water and alcohol and collecting the powder and putting that in a capsule. So, you know, one a capsule of that may equal a couple of teaspoons of a tincture. So it's really concentrated. So that's the highest, that, that's the, the way that you can get the highest concentration of phytochemicals in your system. 
and it's easy, you know, I mean, it's, um, as much as you're, you know, we're seeing a lot of products with uh, gummies and, and things to stir in smoothies and coffee, et cetera. And I think those are all great, but you typically restrict yourself to a pretty narrow selection of herbs that don't taste bad. A lot of our really great herbs have a bitterness to them um, that most people find unpleasant. So when you're taking that standardized powdered extract in a capsule, you miss the bitterness, you get a higher concentration and it's just easy, you know, three capsules a day gives you this really robust concentration of, uh, of phytochemistry. The idea that these herbs and vegetables fruits have these phytochemicals that are protected, right? And you, and you really, explained it well earlier that they have these protective chemicals. And then when we get those protective chemicals, they protect the cells. Now, over the course of the last couple of years, I have seen the emergence of uh, the carnivore diet. Um, um, people eating either exclusively like grass-fed ribeyes or doing nose-to-tail carnivore and really staying away from um, vegetables, extracts, herbs completely. I have actually found that it, it, it really agrees with me. And the idea, a couple of the sort of leaders in the carnivore movement are proposing this idea that those protective chemicals, um, oxalates in kale, for example, are not good for our body because they're, they're protecting again. So a lot of people, you know, um, have, have negative reactions from, you know, consuming, uh, vegetation, because that reaction is uh, not agreeing with them and however, wherever they are, whether it's in their gut or within the way that they process the food. And so I find it really interesting because th the idea that maybe not everybody's supposed to uh, eat, eat a ton of plants and eat a ton of herbs because that their body doesn't agree with them. And because now I eat mostly carnivore and I supplement with some other things, um, I, I'd be interested to hear if, if that's come up before for you, or if people have asked questions on, and I'll caveat this. I know you're like, get to the question, Sean, but the, 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 the caveat is, is that when you're only eating grass-fed ribeyes, if you're only strictly carnivore, that means you're not eating processed foods. That's right. You're not right. eating Cheez-Its. You're not eating diet Coke. You're just eating meat and salt and that's it. So I understand that, 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 eliminates a ton of problematic foods and ingredients for people. But I'm curious if you've, if this has come up for you or, for, or if you've, you've put in any thought into that. Um, yeah, I've explored about every direction you can possibly imagine. And what it boils down to is we don't like to eat vegetables. We just don't like to eat vegetables. So we default to other things. Um, but the fact of the matter is that's what our cells are primed for and you can't get away from it. Um, for several hundred thousand years and possibly even dating back pre-human millions of years, humans ate a foraged food diet. And there's very good evidence that on most locations on earth, uh, that was about two thirds plant matter and about one third lean animals um, that didn't have very much fat at all. So our diet was really very, very calorie sparse. So our cells are designed to run lean. 
They're designed to run on a very low amount of carbohydrate and fat. But quite frankly, your gut, uh, the length of your gut is designed for vegetable fiber. And it really depends on it. Um, when you eat pure meat, you select, select out a really scary uh, component of bacteria in your gut um, that actually do promote colon cancer. So be sure you're doing screening because it's probably you're at pretty high risk being an all meat diet. Um, and you pretty much look at the statistics. Um, it doesn't look good for meat eaters. On the other side of that, can I, if you, can I, if, I'm so, I'm sorry to interrupt, but can I push back on, on that just a little bit? Sure. Cause I, cause I have gotten, gotten into that very topic about, you know, the, the connections with, uh, uh, with colon issues and this, the, the research that, that people have shared with me is that those were based on sort of like cheeseburgers and pepperoni on pizza. It was sort of meat inclusive rather than meat exclusive. And that the, that the correlation between, and, and I'm, 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 I'm happy to learn. And this is why I ask these questions to experts like you is that when you look at the Western American diet, people who eat meat, they're eating cheeseburgers and they're eating terrible food versus, you know, someone who's eating really high quality meat. I don't, I don't know if that, if that makes sense or not. Well, is it high quality meat? I mean, if you're going to be a carnivore, you really should just eat wild meat. Um, mm. uh, at, you know, that's where you're going to get the lean. Um, it's the fat in, in the meat that's the problem. And wild animals, true, true wild animals, not wild elk, they're raised in a captured situation. Um, but it's, um, but when you, you know, so, so if you're eating wild meat, that's going to give you an advantage, but you still need the vegetable fiber. Um, you know, the, that's where the evidence and the logic goes. You know, the, the problem with science is you can find science to pretty much support anything that you want to say. And I like to look at all of the data. You know, we call it reductionist science. And, and you just see this in journalism. You see it everywhere and you definitely see it in the drug industry and the medical community, uh, cherry picking the science that you want. So um, you have to look at the big picture. And the big picture is looking at human history, looking at what humans survived off of, what our cells are designed for, right? Um, so that's, so I think that's really important. And you can look at population studies too. Um, so if you, so there, there, when you look at large populations and there have been quite a number of studies, uh, current day populations, um, the people that are living the longest are not eating a lot of meat. Um, and it, you know, that, that's probably the strongest evidence I would say right there that uh, there are a number of studies, probably the most well-known is the blue zone studies that were looked at populations around the world. Uh, the, uh, the, there have been studies in China, um, but when you look at the studies of people that are living into their nineties and hundreds, um, they're typically eating some meat, but they're eating a lot of vegetables. What they're not eating, though, is a lot of grain, and that is a problem. So, you know, 
that's where I see the biggest problem with our current eating habits are people who are just killing themselves with carbohydrates. So the service that you're doing for yourself is you've cut your carbohydrates out. And I think that is remarkably important to do. Um, so you're keeping your body lean, you're keeping your cells lean. And I think that is to a great advantage. Um, but vegetable fiber is really important. And, you know, it, I, mimicking that, um, our, or at least observing what our ancient past tells us we should do, I think is very important. So vegetable fiber is going to cultivate more favorable bacteria in your gut. Carbohydrates aren't, grain isn't. Um, I, I, you know, that, that's the huge problem that I see in American society today is people are just killing themselves with the wrong foods. Um, we don't eat vegetables because vegetables don't have much in the way of calories. And our brain has tuned us to eat, uh, to, to, to search out calories. And it's just that ancient food heritage of having a really lean diet without much calories in it. You know, when ancient humans came upon some cache of calories, like a tree full of berries or a salmon run or a down wildebeest, you know, that you've got to eat all at one time, they gorged, man. They just ate all they could get right then. But the fact of the matter is those things didn't come around very often. And what most humans were eating for most of time in most places on earth were small animals that they could run down and food that they could forage roots, leaves, uh, you know, whatever ha might have some calorie. And they were eating a lot of this and they were getting a lot of vegetable fiber. So grains didn't come on the picture until about 10,000 years ago and nothing like we're producing now. I mean, you think about it. One guy in an air-conditioned tractor can produce enough wheat to feed an entire city for a year. It's just insane how much carbohydrate we're producing worldwide. But you, know, you get back to what people are eating. Some grains are better than others. People seem to tolerate rice better than they do wheat. Um, and corn, you know, uh, the longest, some of the healthiest people on earth are, uh, live in Japan and they eat rice three times a day. They also eat a lot of vegetables and they eat a lot of seafood. Mm. And if you're going to eat meat, I would suggest eating more seafood than anything else because of the omega-3s. Um, now you're getting a better spectrum of omega-3 fatty acids with grass-fed beef, but you're still not getting the quantities that you would find in a vegetarian diet or in, in, uh, in, in your seafoods. That's really helpful. I appreciate that. Thanks for letting me uh, push, push a little bit because I'm, uh, that's what I'm here to do. <laughs> you know, I think everybody's got to find the things that they're comfortable with. And I try to steer people yeah. in a direction of where just my journey has been about trying to gather as much information and as I can and put it in a form that makes sense, that's useful to people so that they can make good decisions. And if you make a decision that you want to eat predominantly grass-fed meat, 
you're probably better off than a lot of people. Now, my job would be to encourage you to try to get at least some vegetables in your diet. Um, you can do it in creative ways and make them fun. But, um, but I, you know, I, I, I think it's, it's, it's a better choice than I think your average American is living with cheeseburgers and the things that are mentioned. But the big thing is just, you know, people are just eating so much wheat and corn. It's just really, really bad. This episode is brought to you by the Spartan Race. You know, I have always admired the people that I've seen online, social media, who go out and do these sorts of obstacle course races because I've never done one. And so I'm doing one. And I invite you to come along with me. On August 13th and 14th, I will be at the Seattle Spartan Race. And I would love for you to meet me there. Uh, I've started my training already. And I'm really looking forward to pushing myself. You see, I hate running. Even though as a college athlete, I hate running. And the idea of pushing myself to this level to do something hard with this massive reward of completion is something that I'm really excited to try. And Spartan has given me a bunch of free tickets to give away. All you've got to do is film a short video of yourself training for the Spartan race and then use hashtag Spartan training and that will get you a free ticket. You can tag me too at real Sean McCormick, but just post a picture or a video of yourself training for the Spartan race. Use hashtag Spartan training and you'll get a free ticket. It's super simple, super easy. I mean, you can't beat that offer. I would love to meet some of the, my local Pacific Northwest friends and listeners of this podcast. And I'm also getting my kids involved. So hopefully I will see you at the Spartan race in August. Yeah. Well, and with, with most of that wheat and corn, it's got glyphosate in it. It's got all these other, you know, terrible chemicals and that's all oh, you're getting other... that in grass fed meat too. I promise. Hmm. Uh, because of runoff. I mean, I'm, I know that I'm a unique yeah, case it's everywhere. Roundup yeah. is everywhere. Um, here's the deal. Toxins, the bigger the animal, the more you concentrate the toxins, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, uh, we have mercury in fish out in the deep ocean, right? Tuna. Where does that mercury come from? Any chemical. Yeah. Uh, is it chemical waste? No, it's from is coal. It? It's from burning coal. Uh. So coal is plant matter that got compressed in the earth millions of years ago. And so heavy metals got pushed into it. Cadmium, mercury, other kinds of heavy metals uh, were pushed into, became part of the coal. So when you burn coal, all of that goes out in the atmosphere. It precipitates into on the ground uh, through the air and through rain and small animals take that up. And so toxins gets concentrated up the food chain so that smaller animals or bigger animals eat smaller animals, more mercury concentrated concentration. So it finally reaches its way out to the oceans where the bigger fish are eating the smaller fish and up and up and up to the biggest fish have the highest concentration of mercury, even though there's not a higher concentration of mercury in the ocean. So it's actually coming from the land and it makes its way into these animals. 
So Roundup and all of these things, Roundup is pretty much everywhere and, and other chemicals too. So um, it's getting concentrated up the food chain. So even grass fed uh, with grass that isn't treated with, with, uh, with uh, uh, Roundup is still getting it mm -hmm. and it's concentrating up. So your larger animals are going to have the higher concentrations of uh uh, of uh, mercury and other kinds of toxins, uh, uh, glyph glyphosates and other kinds of things, um, you're going to find a lot more of that than you are in poultry. Um, mm. It's just going to be a higher concentration of, of the toxin substances. That's a great reminder. That's not, thank you for that. You know, I, I did uh, an episode with um, Dr. Joseph Anton from El Nutra, and they do the five-day fasting mimicking diet. And it's all, you know, he's talking about fiber, fiber. It's got to be fiber, fiber keeps coming up. And I kind of did the same thing and I made a case for for my for my diet. Maybe it's because I just need validation, but I read in, I read into this stuff extensively. And he's like, you can tell yourself, Sean, whatever you want. But the fact is you need plant fiber, like a lot of it, way more than you're getting. And you're going to live longer if you do so. Uh so I, I, I like to I like to challenge my assumptions at, at all at every opportunity. Um, do you do you think that like eating for the rainbow is a good idea? I'm sure you're familiar with the concept that you should have as many different sort of called different colors of vegetables as as you can get. And does that apply also to herbs? Um, well, yes. And what you're getting with color is these phytochemicals of various kinds. So it's like your black, a blackberry, um, the dark chemicals, the blue purple colors come from chemicals called anthocyanidins that are just really wonderful um, antioxidants that we absorb. Um, but there's, you know, different colors have different antioxidants. So you get lutein and the yellow from squash. Um, that uh, builds up in your, in your skin and your eyes and protects you from sun exposure, from UV uh, light uh, damage to the skin. So it slows aging of the skin. So yeah, carrots and yellow squash uh, just give you a really high concentration of these wonderful chemicals. So all of these, these all, all of the colors um, including green, um, are just uh, do give you a spectrum of protection. And all of these things have phytochemicals. Um, as when you look at herbs, the definition of what defines an herb is pretty loose. It's basically a wild plant, um, but herbs can include berries. Um, it can include roots like ginger or rhizomes like ginger and roots of other plants, it can include leaves. Um, so, um, and you know, there, there are certs, you can get blueberry extracts that you can take as a supplement. So even a blueberry could be defined as an herb. But what you're getting from cult plants that are cultivated from food, as food and what we're defining as herb, are two different things. So if you look at a wild blueberry compared to a cultivated blueberry, there's quite a bit of difference. So the wild blueberry is going to be smaller. 
So ounce for ounce, it's going to have a much higher concentration of protective anthocyanins. So the reason is we grow our food plants to produce calories over everything else. We cultivate, we've been cultivating foods for thousands of years and even to an extreme in the past hundred of years to produce more and more and more calories. So our food plants don't have the protective phytochemicals that their wild uh, relatives, uh, ancestors had. So a carrot, you take a, you, if you, if you um, a wild carrot isn't even orange and you can barely get any calories from it. So we've cultivated it to have lots more calories, um, but it has some good protective phytochemicals too, but just not the same levels of protection. So our food plants, it's great to, you know, we're, it's great to eat good, healthy foods, lots of vegetables. There's no doubt about it, but you're still not getting the protective phytochemicals that you are from herbs. And I think that's really one reason, that's a very important reason of why we should all be taking herbs every day, because you just can't get that level of protection of even with what I would define as a healthy diet, unless you are doing like your ancestors and going out and foraging for everything you ate, which is really hard to do. Yeah, you win twice. You win walking around looking for those you know, that one huckleberry bush up on the mountain uh, and then, and then you get there and it's higher quality and more nutrient dense. Yeah. 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 Um, let's talk about herbs versus vitamins. You know, when, if it's clear that we are all starved for nutrients, you know, soil quality depletion, you know, we've already beat on the drum of glyphosate and roundup. Um, everybody, is thinking about how, how can I offset that? Well, they should be. What is the distinction between the daily consumption of like, you know, your generic sort of multivitamin versus a smattering of herbs? Yeah. Um, night and day apples hmm. and oranges, they're wow. totally different. You know, when you go in a supplement store, you find vitamins and herbs all kind of just mixed together. And there's, and, and I think people think, well, they must do similar things. They don't, they're not the same. Um, when you look at a multivitamin supplement or any kind of vitamin like substance, whether that's L-carnitine, creatine, anything else, what, what those are, are nutrients. So nutrients are substances that, that cells need to function. So cells are basically little machines and they have to have raw materials to make things, to make enzymes or to make the parts to contract muscles. So all cells need nutrients to build internal parts to do the job that they need to do. And they need, because things are constantly wearing out, they need a steady supply of nutrients to make things work. And also many nutrients are cofactors in enzymes. You know, we use a lot of en enzymes are basically uh, uh, nano microscopic machines that do the work inside the cell. It's a little biological machine. So cells have lots of enzymes and enzymes need nutrients and cofactors like minerals. Um, so nutrients are things that cells need to function. What herbs are providing 
are phytochemicals that are protective. So herbs are non-nutritive. They're not a great source for nutrients that cells need to function. They don't have tons of vitamins. They don't, they have some minerals. Um, so what we're getting of the herbs is protection from our cells, protection from microbes, protection from free radicals. So we're just upping the protection of our cells to keep our cells healthy. So our cells do need nutrients, and eating a good healthy diet is probably the most reliable way to get nutrients because our cells need those things all the time. So if you're eating and then you're processing food from your GI tract, you're constantly releasing those nutrients and delivering them to your cells and, and on an ongoing basis, so your cells can continually take these things up and use them as, as demand requires. When you take a multivitamin or any vitamin supplement, you're giving your, your whole system a huge bolus of vitamins at one time, and your cells can only use so much of those things. You know, taking mega doses of vitamins doesn't always do anything and it can actually work against you because cells can only use so much of a particular nutrient at a, some, at, at a particular time. If you're just overloading your system with nutrients, that could actually potentially do harm. So it's, it's uh, not to say that we shouldn't be taking nutrients of various kinds. We should just be careful and try to mimic uh, what we would get with a natural diet, the best that we can. Um, but first off, you should eat a healthy diet, you know, and that's another place that plants, when you eat vegetables and fruit, they're going to deliver that wide spectrum of nutrients and meat, you know, quite frankly, I'm, I'm a meat eater. I'm not a, a vegetarian, um, but meat accounts for maybe five or 10% of my diet compared to 50%. Um, my golden rule for a healthy diet uh, with all the studies that I've done and trying every single option out there, including a heavy meat diet. Um, yeah, we ought to be eating about 50% vegetables, not vegetables and fruit, not vegetables and grain, 50% vegetables. We mm. really should. That's yeah. where you're going to get your health benefits. So we're getting our nutrients there we're getting our protection from the herbs. So again, wild plants, when we're processing these things, we're pulling out the extracts, we're extracting the phytochemicals, not nutrients, not minerals. They're not going to deliver our cells nutrients. But here's the thing. This is the interesting thing. When cells are stressed, they use more nutrients. When cells are stressed, they have to work harder. They use more energy. They force their mitochondria harder and they burn a lot more nutrients. They wear out parts faster. So demand goes up. So when you take an herb with all these protective phytochemicals, you're actually reducing cellular stress. So demand for nutrients goes down. So your herbs in a way protect your cells protect the nutrient supply better. Mm. So your cells don't burn out as faster. They don't burn out their mitochondria as faster. So your cells are more resilient. So they don't have to have that, that demand, that push quite as much, which I think is an interesting angle to think about herbs. So herbs and vitamins are two different things, but 
they're both important. That is a really interesting take on that. I, that you probably saw in my eyes roll back when you said that, because I was just trying to absorb the, that wisdom that when you are taking herbs, you're protecting your cells and your cells don't need to work quite as hard. They're, they're not under as much stress. And so therefore right. you don't need to be taking handfuls and handfuls of, you know, other, other vitamins and stuff. Oh, right. I think that's really interesting. Really interesting. But you're also protecting your mitochondria. You know, anybody yeah. interested in performance is interested in mitochondria and mitochondrial functions and really studying mitochondria. A lot of the nutrients that we take for mitochondria, various forms of coenzyme uh, Q10, PQQ, NADH, all of these are the building blocks for the machinery inside mitochondria. So if you're really burning your mitochondria hard, if you're stressing your cells and burning a lot of energy, you're, you are actually uh, burning out these components rapidly, but the mitochondria, a lot of these things don't penetrate into the mitochondria very well. It's not as, as good as you would think. So if you want to protect your mitochondria, protect yourself from stress. So it's not, so it's not overworked mm. and that's going to help preserve your mitochondria and manage the mitochondria inside your body. So our cells constantly manage mitochondria. They constantly purge the mitochondria that are burned out and they take the best remaining mitochondria to build new mitochondria and some stress. So all stress isn't bad, right? So when we're training, we're, we're, we're doing interval training that we're stressing ourselves, but then we're backing off and giving ourselves time to recover, right? So when we exercise, so exercise is associated with cells enhancing their mitochondrial function so that when you exercise regularly, when you do the kinds of performance exercise that you would do in a training, that you're not overtaxing your body and you're allowing those rest periods that are really important, each of your cells are, are taking the mitochondria, ejecting the ones that are burned out that aren't, aren't gonna work anymore and taking the best remaining mitochondria and building new mitochondria. So by exercise, you're grooming your mitochondria. And then if you do herbs on top of that to protect your mitochondria from being overstressed with free radicals and other kinds of stress factors, then you're, you're creating an optimum environment for enhancing mitochondrial functions in your cells. What are some surprising stories from your from your diligent research um, an application a use of an herb an herb we've never heard of what's what's something that that sort of stood out to you from the book hmm that's an interesting one um you know i spent so much time uh my, well my own story is 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 pretty remarkable in itself in that by age 50 I thought my life was done. You know, I mean, I had always, uh, I was a surfer, a kite surfer, a windsurfer. Um, I live for those sports, you know, I mean, there, there was work and then there was, you know, getting off work so you could do those things. And I thought I lost all that, you know? Um, and a conventional medical system had nothing to offer. 
Um, and herbs really saved my life. Um, but they gave me back all that I'd lost. You know, my recovery was probably a five-year ordeal of taking herbs, you know, being really strict about my diet, learning, 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 trying to figure it all out. Um, but the resilience that I've enjoyed uh, since then to be able to do things in my mid sixties that I thought I had lost at age 50 is pretty remarkable. And there are many, many stories like that, that, um, you know, part, a big part of my work so far has been with uh, disenfranchised people with chronic Lyme and fibromyalgia and all of these things that the conventional system just doesn't want to mess with because they don't have anything to offer and working with those individuals to help them regain their lives and get back to a level of wellness. Um, you know, really just thousands of people at this point have chosen the herbal route and it's not all herbs. You know, you do have to be particular about your diet um, exercise. I had to rethink that, you know, I mean, there was a point in time that I couldn't walk half a mile without just being exhausted and when feeling like I'd run into a wall. Um, and, you know, so, so working with all those different parameters and figuring it out and being, having the opportunity to help so many people has just been very gratifying. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's wonderful to have that experience. And it's one that I feel compelled to share. Um, so yeah, I really appreciate this opportunity to, because it's, it's not just people that are struggling with those conditions. All of these same principles can be applied to anybody, whether that's somebody overcoming a health adversity or just trying to reach for a higher level of performance you know, taking it down to a cellular level and just thinking about, you know, how am I affecting my cells here and how can I get maximum function out of my cells is uh, just uh, really re remarkable to have come upon this perspective. And if it hadn't been for that event myself having to go through it, you know, I'd I, I would probably be thinking the same way that I was when I was in medical school 30 years ago, you know? Fascinating. Uh, well, I, I, for one, am very appreciative of authors, doctors, researchers, scientists like yourself who had a thing, figured out through their entire focus at it, you know, did the research, read the papers, and started to do this end of one process of how can I figure this out? What works? What doesn't? How do I feel today? Does that, was that too much? Is this too little? That that's the best stuff comes out of, out of those, uh, those episodes. So I I'm thankful. Um, a couple, so before I ask the, the final question, which is a fill in the blank question, uh, where can people go to get the book? Where should you, they go online? Uh, it's available on Amazon now, but we also have a website, cellularwellness.com, that has a lot of other great information. We'll be doing a series of webinars. There's going to be quite a bit of other additional content from the book. You know, you, you never, 
once you finish a book, it's, it's this thing that's set. And then all these other ideas come along, you find out about other stuff you want to share. And that's the cool thing about a book today. It's, it's, it's always connected to a website so you can keep adding to it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, this has been really great. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll close out with uh, a fill in the blank question. And, and this, this can be just based on anything that you know in, in life. It doesn't have to be specific to herbs, but it could be. And you can elaborate as much or as little as you wish, but please fill in the blank. Everyone would benefit from knowing that herbs probably have more value in protecting your health and enhancing your performance than anything else you can do by a long shot. And, you know, unlike the, the evidence is there to support it. You know, that's been the remarkable thing about this book. Everything that I've wanted to say that I probably couldn't have said a decade ago, the evidence is there now. Um, the, the research on herbs and all of the things that I'm trying to promote, cellular wellness concepts, it's all documented in scientific literature. You know, it's, it's, uh, there's good science going on around the world um, that isn't just oriented in the drug industry. So it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's really wonderful to have that opportunity. Awesome. Dr. Rawls, thank you so much for joining me today on the Optimal Performance Podcast. Oh, thank you so much for the opportunity. I really appreciate it.